Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 31 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. How's your week been, Doug? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's been very stressful and strange and, you know, like everybody else, just trying to get through it. Yeah, I hear ya. It's, uh, it's nice that we're still able to do this from a safe distance apart, but uh, we may be having to get more creative with how we record down the road here. Yeah, uh, I'll be taking one of the microphones home tonight, so uh, if uh, martial law does come into effect, uh, our five listeners can still get Canucks Speakeasy content. There we go. And thanks to those who reached out to us this past week as well, saying thanks for putting out the content. We really appreciate that. Uh, You can follow us online as well. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Uh, give me a follow at Doug Then, and then as always, we got our Spotify playlist, which is ever growing with the outro songs. So uh, give that a follow on Spotify as well. Just connect Speakeasy Podcast. Give the profile a follow. And we're gonna flip the script around this week because everything seems to be flipped around. And we're actually gonna do our interview segment first here. We've got Matthew Zader joining us, and let's just bring him on right now. Let's do it. Joining us for this week, we're very pleased to have Matthew Zader on the line. You can follow him on Twitter at Matthew Zader SC. Matt's a contributor for the Hockey Writer, and he's also the director for Overtime Heroics Hockey. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Well, you know, we're surviving in this post-apocalyptic world without hockey and without the Canucks, but uh, there's yeah. always something to talk about in Canucks land, so thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we t- we kind of did a little bit of talking before going on here, and we decided a fun place to begin would be handing out the Canucks individual awards if the season was to end today. So let's jump right into that and start with the big one. Who is your MVP for the Canucks this year? I mean, that's a that's a pretty difficult one for me. I mean, you got you got Jacob Marks, who's been kind of lights out all season, and I mean, there's a lot of games that the Canucks were. You know, outplay, outshot, outchanced, and he kept them in to to win games. So, and then you got JT Miller, who's been probably the best trade in a long time the Canucks have had, and uh, he's been he's been just as much of an MVP. But I'm going with Jacob Markstrom because the fact is, they didn't have uh, have Markstrom. I think the Canucks wouldn't be in the playoff uh, hunt at all. So I'm going with Markstrom. Doug, what do you say? Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard not to disagree with you uh, there. I, I think Markstrom definitely, it's hard not to agree with you there, part of me. I definitely think Markstrom's the MVP. You can make a strong case for JT Miller and even perhaps Quinn Hughes, but I think Quinn Hughes is probably mm-hmm. going to sure up another uh, award on the Canucks uh, year-end re- awards here. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think uh, Markstrom's the guy. What about last year the Canucks gave this award to Antoine Roussel for unsung hero? And I think there's a few guys you could kind of put in the boat this year for unsung heroes. Uh, who's the guy who really jumps out at you? I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that uh, that could be in that category this year. I mean, you got uh, Jake Vertanen, uh, Tyler Mott. Uh, you know, I mean, Roussel hasn't been as much as he was last year, so he's probably not in there, but... I, I'm going with uh, with Tyler Mott on on this one. I mean, he's been injured, but whenever he's been in the lineup, he's made that fourth line run, and I'm I'm going with Mott. Uh, I have to 100% agree with you, Matt. Uh, Mott's been a guy that I've kind of been chime, championing for the last couple of weeks here as a guy that I think a lot of Canucks fans undervalue and underappreciate. And you see what he does on the penalty kill and how hard he gets in there on the forecheck. He's a guy who is pending RFA this year that I really hope we find a way to put him in the bottom six again. I know guys like him come a dime a, a, dime a dozen, but just the effort and you know his... Uh, Workman mentality, I think, is something the Canucks are going to need moving forward. Yeah, I mean, Mott, I've always liked Mott, even like when he first came on to the Canucks for that trade for Vanek, and everyone's like, well, the Canucks didn't get much for this guy, for Vanek, and I don't know, I, I think Mott's been full value ever since he's come on to the Canucks. He's fought his way into the lineup uh, in training camp there and, you know, pushed a veteran out, of the, out as well. So, I mean, in the end, he's been... 
he's been every every bit of a you know valuable uh, piece in that trade. So yeah, Mott's, Mott's been pretty good. Mott was also my vote. I'm glad that we all uh, agreed on him. I, I often think he's our most tenacious four-checker out there. He's one of the first guys into the corners. Him and Bo Horvat, I've said all year, they're the two most tenacious on the puck. He's a great skater. And again, yeah, you go back to that Vanek trade. I mean, it's him and Jokinen coming over, and we're like, oh, we didn't get any picks. Everyone was all boo-hoo-hoo. But we've got a very serviceable player who's still young and an RFA uh, who should be able to get at a reasonable hit this year, I hope. Yeah, for sure. Um, one other uh, fun topic, pretty easy one here, I think. Uh, best defenseman award. Is there any doubt? Should we talk about who's the runner up for the award, even? Because I, I don't think there's any doubt of who the best defenseman for the team is. <laughs> yeah, Quinn Hughes is uh, my vote all the way. I mean, ever since, even from last year in the five games, I mean, it's surprising that he only played five games at the end of last season. It seemed like he played played fifty. So I mean. Uh, how much he kind of impacted the defense right away. And he's just, you know, continued that this season uh, as well. And he's been probably, you know, the best defenseman, you know, even not just on the Canucks, but in the NHL uh, this season too. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, pacing for 60-plus points. He's in the top five or six in scorers consistently throughout the year. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned he only had five games last year. I believe he got three assists in those five games. But what he's done for this back end and uh, for a back end that struggled a lot of the time to move the puck out, he's been a just a breath of fresh air on every level, hasn't he? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I was a fan when when the Canucks drafted him. I didn't think like I was high on him uh, for them to maybe get him, but. I mean, I was I jumped up when when the when he when Detroit picked Zadina and uh, he was still on board, so I was so excited when the Canucks actually drafted him. So uh, I've been following him right from the beginning. And that was the the draft where all of a sudden the way things went. Once Hayden jumped up, the Canucks were looking at getting their pick of defensemen after Darlene there, which was. Uh, I remember Noah Dobson was in the mix. Um, Evan Bouchard was in the mix. And I wasn't too sure at the time who to take. Hughes was a bit smaller, uh, but I knew he was the best skater of the bunch. And yeah. I, I was a, a little one of those picks at the time. I'm like, oh, he's a small guy, but he can skate. But, geez, has he ever turned out to be the, the right pick out of all those guys? Is he also oh, your yeah. vote for most exciting player on the team? I <laughs> I go with Hughes as well. I mean, Pedersen's up there, uh, J.P. Miller. Uh, but every time you see Hughes get the puck, he creates so much from the back end, and I still I'm going with Hughes for the most exciting as well. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to say Hughes is easily the best defenseman on the team, and yeah, most exciting without a doubt. I mean, the way he skates, I haven't seen many NHL players, let alone Canucks defensemen, be able to do the things he can do on the ice and just how effort, effortlessly he's able to kind of change his stride and kind of, you know, be evasive to oncoming uh, players of the opposing team. Um, would it be safe to say that you have Hughes down for the Calder Trophy as well? I, I yes. <laughs> I mean, he's, I mean, McCarr is there too, but... I mean, the way that Hughes has been for the Canucks, I mean, McCart's been good for the Avalanche, but the importance of, uh, you know, of the player on the team, uh, Hughes has been more important to the Canucks' success than McCart's been for the Avalanche. So, I mean, in the end, I think uh, Hughes kind of edges them out. I I definitely agree. I The one thing that has me a little bit worried is the fact that, and again, you know, who knows? It's one game, but McCarr did put up three points in the last game uh, of the year. Well, who knows if it's the last game of the year, but his last game yeah. played, he put up three points. So I don't know if that could maybe sway some of the voters, but I agree. I do think Hughes has had more of an impact. Now I've, I've actually stated this before on the podcast. I actually think Hughes has made more of an impact to wins this year than Pedersen did last year. I, I, I didn't agree with that. I mean, Pedersen was was really good. I mean, last year for the Canucks too. But it just seems like Hughes has made a, a bigger impact on the team. I mean, he's a defenseman, so kind of he drives play from the back. And the way the Canucks have been structured defensively in the past, um, the Canucks just haven't had a defenseman that can do what he does uh, from there with the transition, the way he transitions the puck so quickly. 
and he, I don't know if he ever makes a bad pass out of his own zone, too. So, I mean, we haven't had a defense that's been able to do that. We have a real streak going with the Calder. We, regardless of if Hughes wins it or not, it's going to be three straight years we've had a finalist. And I just kind of want to go off the board here and ask you, is, do you see any chance of that continuing next year with a rookie jumping into the lineup? I mean, you're going to have uh, Hoglander coming over um, next year too. So, I mean, he could. The way he's played, he played in the World, World Juniors there. I mean, He's NHL ready, in my opinion, and you know he could be that guy next year, uh, right in the Calder race as well. So I mean, I mean I don't know what type. I haven't looked at what rookies are coming up uh, next season that could challenge him. I haven't really dug deep yet, but I mean he's going to be right there if he can jump into the NHL and be a top six forward right away. Well, there's also a really good chance if the Canucks, which by most pundits believe won't be able to sign Tyler Toffoli that there will be a potential spot in the top six for a young guy like Anils Hoglander. And I definitely think Hoglander would have to have a role in the top six in order to be a Calder candidate next year. But yeah, he he's definitely a guy I'd be looking at. I don't know if a Cole Lind is a guy that is going to instantly be able to put up uh, points in the NHL. He'll probably have to start in a bottom six role, almost like a Jake Furtanen. Um, but it, th- there is some interesting uh, decisions to be made next year as far as roster construction goes for the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, the way that I mean, we don't know if Toffoli's going to be re-signed at all, so I mean, the Canucks still have to you know, figure that out, especially with Markstrom, uh, what he's going to be demanding as well. So I mean, the cap, yeah, the, the way that's really good, the cap is going up this season, or it seems to be projected to go up. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a blessing in disguise kind of for the Canucks in that respect. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting off season. That's for sure. Whenever that comes. Yeah, the the only issue with the cap is I know because of the whole situation we're in, there's actually a really good chance that the cap is either stagnant um, mm. or the owners and the players come to some sort of agreement where they're able to kind of agree that the cap's going to go up, but they're both going to pay a lot more in escrow. I know Pierre Lebrun right. was uh, on a local radio station, and he said in 25 years he's been uh, reporting on the league He's never actually seen the league and the players union work in unison as they are right now to try to salvage a Stanley Cup or some sort of rem, uh, rem, resemblance of a playoff or anything like that. So it's actually interesting how this whole pandemic is actually uniting the players in the league together. Yeah, I mean, the way the cap, I mean, it's going to be an interesting, it's de- definitely it was going to be an interesting offseason before, but with all with the pandemics here, pandemic here, and yeah, the salary caps are a little bit more, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen now, especially that report came out way before this all happened. So it's kind of uh, a little bit murky now. I wanted to jump back over to a few more NHL awards, and you mentioned Jacob Markstrom in there. Of course, he's our biggest of the UFAs. Do you think he has a legitimate shot at the Vesna this year? I mean, I, I would say yes before he got injured. And uh, now that he you know he got injured and he wasn't playing for a bit, um, he's probably out of that run. But I would say he still should be should be talked about in that in that award category because. The way he's played all year, I mean, it's, you look at his stats, it's not, they're not eye-popping, they're not crazy, like you look at Tuka Rask's goals against average of 2.12 at the highest, and Markson I think it was like 2.5 or something like that. So, uh, you know, the numbers don't look Vesna-worthy, uh, but you look at what he's done, and being best goalie, he's probably, he's been the best goalie since, I don't know, probably the beginning of the season, and how you know, lights out. He's been in games and keeping the Canucks in, in games they probably shouldn't have been in. So uh, he definitely should be talked about in that conversation. Do you have a front runner for the award? I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Tuka Rask. As much as it pains me because I'm Boston, but <laughs> I'm going with, with Rask there. I, again, it makes for a boring podcast, but I have to agree with you again, Matt. Uh, I I had Tuka as well. If you look at the games played. Uh, where Boston is in the standings and his overall stats, Tuca is the, in my opinion, the most logical choice to be the Vesna winner this year. 
Yeah. Uh, what about for the Norris Trophy? Do you have uh, any thoughts on that or who you think might uh, take home the Norris Trophy this year? Because that's an award that I think is pretty much wide open. I know John Carlson jumped out to an yeah. insane point total at the beginning of the season, but as the season's progressed, obviously everything's kind of leveled off a lot more. Yeah. I mean, John Carlson kind of jumped out to, you know, huge lead, huge, uh, lead in that voting for the Norris as well. For me, I mean, I still say uh, he's probably going to win it, but you look at guys like Roman Yossi, uh, I mean, even Quinn Hughes, uh, the way he's performed this season, I I mean, that's maybe off the board, maybe a bit of a hot take there, but, I mean, he's probably going to get some votes from some people on, on how he's been uh, this season. I, I agree with the, you know, Carlson did run away with the point total at the start. He's 10 up on Yossi at the moment. I, I feel like Yossi is the more complete defenseman. Do you think that overall with Norris Trophy voting, we put too much of an emphasis on defenseman's point totals? I mean, it seems like it throughout, uh, you know, historically it's always been that way. I mean, you look at the most Norris Trophy winners, they're, they're the highest, one of the higher point totals. You look at Eric Carlson, he won it. And he, you know, you don't really look at him as the best defensively all the time, and he still won that, uh, won it there. So, I mean, and then you look at, like, guys like Shea Weber, who's who's got it. And, I mean, most of the time they're big, you know, big point producers. And, I mean, they do have to be good defensively. In my opinion, they, they should be. But it just seems like the, the higher offensive total seem to dictate that. One thing I've thought for a long time, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is if the NHL created a defensive defenseman award, kind of akin to what they have with the Selkie Trophy, is something that balances out defensive play with uh, a bit of offensive production as well. So, you know, you're looking maybe defensemen more in the 30 to 45 point range. What do you think about that? I mean, that's a that's a good point. I mean, I believe, I believe they should have an award like that because and you look at guys like Chris Tanev, um, guys like that, that you know, they're never going to be in that conversation because they're never going to put up a crazy amount of points. Um, but they're a rock defensively. You need guys like that on your team to be able to compete, and you, you know, you have to, you just have to have those guys, and they should be recognized, just like the you know the Selkie Award uh, guys do. So, yeah, I definitely agree that should be an award that should be uh, put in there. Yeah, I mean. It still boggles my mind that Shea Weber could finish his career without a Norris Trophy. And obviously, if there was some sort of like defensive defenseman trophy, you you would assume Weber would have won a handful of them by now. Um, oh, you think so? Yeah, and it, it's a shame that it's, it's just generally speaking always up against the points. So last trophy I want to ask you about is, of course, the Hart Trophy. Now, it's a bit of a wide-open field this year. You even have some teams that have two guys you could talk about for the Hart Trophy. So, a bit wide open. I, I, I've got a, I think I've, I know who my pick would be, but uh, who do you got winning the Hart Trophy? I'm, I mean, you look at how, how Leon Dreisaitl's been kind of, he's been, I mean, insane. I mean, 110 points, and I mean, the season's probably going to be done now, and that's probably be his total, but he probably would eclipse 120 by the end of the season, uh, the way he's producing. But, I mean, I go with Dreisaitl. I mean, a bit of a you know runner-up to me is, is Nathan McKinnon on the Avalanche, but I'm going with Dreisaitl, the way he's played all year and uh, just racking up with points, and it's been pretty insane. Yeah, my, McKinnon was my pick. Uh, the dry saddle thing, it's, I, I don't disagree with you. It's, it's been cool to see him carry the team when McDavid goes down, but McDavid's right behind him, and that makes it kind of, I don't know, does it lessen the value for dry saddle when you have the top two scorers in the league on the same team? Yeah, I mean, you, you do look at that, and I mean, would dry saddle be as much of a point producer if McDavid was never on the team? So, I mean, that's that's the same thing when you look at Malkin and Crosby on, on Pittsburgh. I mean, whenever Crosby goes down, Malkin seems like a all world and then when they're together Malcolm's kind of that um, second second place type guy so I mean it's an interesting thing to you know to I don't think Dreisaitl and McDavid will probably be ever not be on the same team so we may never see that so <laughs> uh, the one thing I will say is a bit of a conspiracy theorist uh, well not even a conspiracy theorist but you know 
to me, like the best way to kind of grow the NHL would be for a player like Leon Dreisaitl to take home the Hart Trophy. Because I can imagine there's a lot of young German kids, you know, who all of a sudden start paying attention to the NHL and watching hockey because of a guy like Leon Dreisaitl. So I actually think him winning the Hart Trophy is better for the league on a global level. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, you look at the way... I mean, Germany's put out some, you know, average players over the years, but not to the extent of what Dreisaitl is. I mean, he's a superstar, and I think he's probably been the only real superstar they've produced uh, in their history. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the only real big guy that's come out of there. He's the the biggest. I mean, the the guy that comes to mind, he's not nowhere near the same level as Christian Ehrhoff. Uh, you know, Mar- there's uh, Marco Sturm, uh Marcel Gotch, I can't think of too many guys. The only other guy I can think of, but a completely different position, is Olaf Kolzig. Oh, yeah. Oli the goalie. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's been an all-star, goal, I mean, an all-star goaltender, but in the point of being a you know, superstar forward, I, I think he's probably been uh, the biggest guy to come out of there. I mean, uh, Marco Sturm is a solid forward for, for them, uh, for Germany too. But he was never at the point of dry cycle for sure. No, not even close. Fun fact about Olaf Kolzig, I remember from the back of hockey cards, he was born in South Africa. Mm. So there you go. Just like Robin Regeer was born in Brazil. So right. there you <laughs> go. And Keanu Reeves was born in Lebanon. So, uh, hey, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that we've given out our awards. Um, if the season was to come back, well, first of all, do you think the season is going to come back in any capacity? I mean, I hope so. I mean, the way that this pandemic's going and saying this will be another few, a couple months here before we even, you know, think about that. But if they are able to do it, I mean, they're going to have to jump right into the playoffs in some kind of format. Um, you know, there's been talk about the 24 team playoff format coming in and playing at the end of May. But uh, the way that things are going, I hope that that'll be the case because we're still a month from that or two months from that. So, I mean, I'm hoping that that is all resolved by then so that we can get some playoff hockey, especially with the Canucks being right in the thick of things. What is your kind of perfect playoff scenario if it does come back? Um, for matchups? I mean... <laughs> well, just in terms of I how... that the... Well, in terms of how it I would work, the... first of all, like how what, what would you like to see for the format? The format, I mean, I, I actually really like the way that was proposed uh, by the players there. We had a 24 team uh, format there because of the fact that, you know, you go look at the wild card teams that were kind of uh, pushing for the playoffs, and it would kind of be unfair to them to say, oh, you know, we're going with what the standings were right at the, when we play, hit, hit the pause button. But, I mean, I, I really think that they should be given a chance to actually make it through. I don't know what. Uh, I mean, the Canucks are right there. If uh, if they were to make it on point percentage, that's the only way they'd make it on points. And the tie break, Nashville's got it. So I think the players' proposed uh, format was actually a pretty good one, in my opinion. It's interesting. If you were to do it that way with uh, the top 12 from the conferences, all of a sudden teams like Montreal, Florida, Chicago, Minnesota, they're, they're all in it. it. It really does change the landscape a lot, doesn't it? It does. It will be a pretty crazy uh, uh, first bit of the playoffs there because they'd have to get, uh, you know, whittle down to 16, which is probably what, you know, it's probably just some kind of a, you know, an extra round in there uh, to try to get it down to the regular playoffs. So it would be definitely an interesting uh, format to see. Maybe a best of three or a best of five with uh, the lower eight teams from each conference. So maybe you have buys for the, the top four teams in the conference, something like that. Yeah, I think that would probably work out pretty well. I mean, it'd be, it would definitely be an interesting uh, comeback for the for hockey, that's for sure. Would you put an asterisk next to the eventual Stanley Cup winner if they do award the Stanley Cup next year, if they go to a format like that for the playoffs? I probably would because it's a different type of uh, the way it was you know, set up because you look at teams that you know be potentially making it uh, that may not have at all. So, I mean, you look at, you know, maybe Minnesota makes it through right right into the end and they win the cup. I mean, it it would be kind of a weird thing because they would be probably out of it if they did play out the season uh, normally. 
Another thing that would be kind of interesting is you you would see teams squeak into the playoffs that acquired other teams' conditional picks based on if those teams would make the playoffs. So you would see some of those teams in the uh, probably 8 to 12 spots who've acquired picks also make the playoffs and then acquire other teams' picks because they've now made the playoffs. So there's a, there would be – I don't know if the league would have to look at things like that. I mean, what obviously comes to mind, first of all, is uh, the Vancouver situation with the JT Miller pick, but – there were a lot of conditional picks moved at the trade deadline this year as well. Yeah, it'd be a, a little bit of a mess I'd have to to uh, look through because I mean, yeah, like you say, it's the conditional picks are going to be throw a wrench into things if they do uh, do a, a format that's a little different from the regular format. So, yeah, they definitely have to look at that to see to make it fair on those types of teams. I know uh, already I was reading about uh, you know the Calgary and James Neal. And Milan you know, Lucic conditional pick, and because of this, the pause it could mess, you know, make it that Calgary doesn't, you know, that conditional pick's kind of, uh, you know, changes a bit. So it would definitely be something you'd have to look at. And one other question for you regarding this: What's more important to you, the league being able to award the Stanley Cup this year, or being able to play a full 82 game schedule next year? I mean, it would kind of be a very kind of a weird thing to not have the Stanley Cup awarded. I mean, I know that the lockout year, that one lockout year, they didn't award the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, it wouldn't be unprecedented, but I mean, I think, I mean, definitely next year will be a shortened season because of this. Uh, I still think that they should, you know, endeavor to try to award the Stanley Cup, get, get something, unless it goes too deep, like it goes into June, July, when before this is all sorted out, then then end it and just have a full season next year. Matt, that's all great stuff. Uh, Just before we wrap this all up here, I wanted to turn the floor over to you. Just uh, if there's anything you want to say, anything you wanted to plug, the floor is yours. Well, I mean, I'm I'm getting right back into the swing of things with writing. Uh, Over hockey writers, I've got uh, draft profiles. The draft still hopefully is going to go on, so... Uh, there's a lot of that going on. I'm starting to write a few different uh, Canucks articles as well, so uh, look for, for them coming up as well. Right on. And, of course, for you people out there, you can follow him on Twitter at Matthew Zader SC. A lot of good content out there, and, hey, that's why we asked you to come on here, so we really appreciate you joining us, Matt. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, I've enjoyed it very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, and thanks again to Matthew Zader for joining us on that first segment. And uh, Pete, uh, there was actually some Canucks news to talk about this past week. Uh, The Canucks signed Will Lockwood out of the NCAA, which is great. I think a lot of Canucks fans were worried he was a guy that could just go elsewhere and sign as a free agent because I believe this was the fourth year of his uh, eligibility in the NCAA. And then they signed another college free agent, uh, Michaelis, I believe, or Michaelis. Mark Michaelis. Michaelis, who by all accounts seems like a good young free prospect for the Canucks. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, starting with Lockwood, I'm glad they locked that up. No pun intended. They uh, He was a guy who kind of got forgotten, I think, a bit about in the Canucks system. I think he's pretty close to NHL ready. Uh, he was captain last year in Michigan. He played with Quinn Hughes before that in Michigan as well. Um, he's, he's a slightly smaller forward, but he's got great hands and he's a great depth move where he fits in. Who knows? We may have gotten to see him a little bit this year. Otherwise he would have been a nice fit down with Utica. Um, Michaelis is a guy I admit I didn't know a lot about. He's plays for one of those schools that you just don't really hear too much about, but he was also a captain at Minnesota state university. So they can signed two captains. Uh, he had an incredible year. Uh, he won a whole bunch of awards as well, including he's a nominee for the Hobie Baker. But he looks to be, a, the way I see it is he's kind of a, a fill-in for where Tyler Madden was with, with this team. But he's, again, like he was a Hobie Baker. He was the offensive player of the year for his conference, first team all-star. Uh, he's got a pretty good resume and uh, looks to be like we could have something, especially given our recent history and success with the NCAA. Yeah, the one thing with Michaelis, is that how, Michaelis? I think so. The one thing with Michaelis is he is 24, right? So his progression as a prospect, he's pretty much who he is now, but 
his four years in college, he he improved his point total every year. He never really had a regression in his trajectory in the NCAA. I think he's a guy, even if, I mean, I don't expect him to be on the Canucks next year, barring massive injuries, but I think he's a guy that can really help Utica. They need center help down in Utica at the moment. And with Will Lockwood, I, I do like Will Lockwood. One of the big issues I think with Lockwood and his development is he's been injury injury prone and he hasn't been able to stay healthy the last couple of seasons. I believe uh, a couple of years ago was the uh, World Junior Tournament. He got injured at the World Junior Tournament, which I believe derailed the rest of his season in Michigan. And last year as well, I know he was uh, on Minnesota, like you said, with Quinn Hughes. He Michigan. Got injured, Michigan, pardon me. With Quinn Hughes. Uh, he ended up uh, getting injured again. So he's a guy that, you know, it's hard to tell what we really have with him because he has kind of had a bit of the injury bug. I also think that, you know, maybe there was some pressure for the Canucks to to sign him because the 2016 draft is not looking like a good draft for the Canucks whatsoever. It's possible. He's also still only 21, despite doing four years of college. Um, and the thing with Michaelis, I mean, Rafferty was 24 when we signed him, too. And we're still pretty hyped on that guy. What The other thing with uh, Michaelis is he's played against men as well. He's represented Germany internationally multiple times at World Championships and at the juniors. So I think he is more NHL-ready than we think. He may be uh, more so than Lockwood, but... Uh, Lockwood certainly, uh, his numbers did drop this year, and I think that's also a factor of players leaving the team and him having less of a cast around him. But he's, like I said, he's only 21, and uh, I think both these signings are good depth moves. I think uh, you got your Madden replacement, you got another NCAA guy in there, and the Canucks have had a great history with NCAA players lately, so let's not discount that. They seem to really know what they're doing over there. Yeah, and there's been reports that the Canucks are still actually hot on the heels of another uh college free agent i believe it's a defenseman um i'm not sure the name i know some people have speculated but there's uh, been rumors that the player is down to two teams the canucks being one of them so there could be another signing in the next uh few days here for the canucks as well yeah benning has said that there were two guys that they were targeting and michaelis was one of them and that there is another one that they're targeting so yeah here's here's hoping um we were going to do a redraft with all that prospect talk of the 2013 NHL draft, which was Bo Horvat's year. And, you know, it's been seven years, so you have a little bit of time to digest it. So we've created a redraft order going through the whole draft. Uh, Doug and I both put in lists. We tallied them up. We now have a master list for you. And we're going to go through and see how things could have been if everyone looked at through their crystal ball and saw what this draft class turned out to be. So, Doug, should we get this started? Yeah, uh, I was actually pretty surprised. The, the middle of the draft, I thought we had a lot of the same players in, in our personal list. But again, we've consolidated it to one master list, like you said. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's start. Uh, we're starting from pick 30, moving up. Or do you want to no, start from start, pick one? Start, start at pick number one with this one. Okay. Uh, and work it out. Because there's no real surprise at the top. It's Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, I mean, to me, there was, without a doubt, Nathan McKinnon's obviously the best player in this draft uh head and shoulders the best player in this draft i mean barkov's a hell of a player as is seth jones but uh to me mckinnon easily the first overall pick so that is the top three one two three right there we both had the same order for top three uh, mckinnon is the best player barkov used to be called the most underrated player in the league i don't think he is anymore a lot of people say his teammate huberto is the most underrated player in the league uh, Seth Jones, though, best defenseman, um, he would have gone to Tampa in this redraft uh, as as well. So that would have been interesting. Tampa, of course. Imagine a pairing him. of Victor Hedman and Seth Jones. Oh, it's it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, Is there any way you would have Jones ahead of Barkov at two? Uh, no, not personally. I really like uh, Sasha Barkov. I'm he's, with you. I'm with you. He's uh, he's a fantastic player. I'd, I'd put, put him there. Uh, but we both had the same one, two, three. Number four is where it, where it gets interesting, and maybe we've homered a little bit. Our scoring system had it really close uh, from four, four and five, and a little bit with six as well. But we've kind of homered it a, a little bit, and uh, Nashville selects Bo Horvat at number four. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think uh, us having Horvat number four is a bit of a homer pick, but, you know, Bo's a captain. Um, some of the other players below him aren't. I don't think any of the players below him are captains, to be honest. 
and, you know, as a Canuck fan, we know what Bo Horvat is. And he's one of the guys that I think from his draft, you know, from the time he was drafted to today, he's really improved, especially his skating. And his point totals have gotten better and better each year. And he doesn't have an elite winger like the guy we have below him does in Calgary. And so I think if, you know, if Horvat had, you know, a superstar winger to play with him every year, you know, who knows what his point totals could be. Yeah, and that leads into the the next pick uh, pretty nicely there. Uh, number five, Carolina, they take Sean Monaghan. And these guys, we had Horvat and Monaghan pretty close here. Uh, but Carolina takes Monaghan. Yeah, and, and again, like Monaghan's a hell of a player as well. And I'm sure if he was a Canuck, we would probably have had Monaghan ahead of Horvat. And Monaghan would maybe be the captain of the team right now. Who knows? Um, but I do think Monaghan has really, in you know, reap the rewards and the benefits of playing with an elite skilled guy like a Johnny Goudreau where Horvat has had a cattle, you know, a who's who of who the hell is that guy of a winger uh, throughout his career. And the captain thing does definitely bump him up a little bit. Uh, The next one though, up to this point, we've all been top nine players. Number six, Calgary here. They take the first big reach going to a guy who went in the third round, uh, Jake Gensel. Yeah, I think Gensel, well, maybe he's not the biggest jumper actually, but he's obviously uh, top three as biggest jumpers in this draft. And Gensel's another guy that, you know, you could maybe make the argument with who he gets to play with, with Crosby and stuff like that. But the guy has been an elite playoff producer you know, throughout his career, and he's put up points. Even when Crosby goes down, Gensel's still putting up points. Uh, so I think it's hard to argue Gensel not being in the top six here. He's already got 43 playoff points, uh, Jake Gensel does. Um, but yeah, he uh, went 77th overall. And yeah, he does get the uh, the help of playing with some wingers, but he's still, he's a 40-goal man as well. He was over a point a game this year. He was uh, scoring at a torrid pace. Uh, so, yeah, Jake Gensel jumps up. Calgary takes him at six. Oilers are on the clock, and they get a guy who I think would be a great fit for them in Josh Morrissey. Yeah, Morrissey. And, again, there's a few players on this in this draft year that they've their, their development has been up and down. And Morrissey was a guy for a few years a lot of people thought was a bit of a bust. And then the last couple of years, Morrissey found his game – Winnipeg was very patient with him and you know they kept him in the minors and now Morrissey is easily a top two defenseman on probably I would say 90% of most NHL teams in the league and he's the I would think he's probably the perfect fit for Edmonton in this redraft yeah he's been he's got a really high hockey IQ he's able to throw his weight around a bit he can score as well he had some good numbers back in junior um, he's, uh, he would have been a nice pick there for the, the Oilers at seven. Buffalo is up next at eight and they end up with, uh, Elias Lindholm. So this is another guy that I think you could maybe make an argument would be right there with Horvat and Monaghan, uh, Lindholm, who oddly enough is actually in Calgary now. Um, but he's a guy who has been pretty productive last year. He had a great year. Um, but I think Calgary as a whole kind of punched a little bit above their weight last year, um, especially, you know, points wise. Uh, but Lindholm is another great player who I think is a little bit underrated. But when you look at his stats in his career, uh, he's easily a top 10 uh, prospect in this draft. And as good as Lindholm is, he actually fell in this draft re-ranking case. He went fifth overall and he ends up going eighth. So not a big fall, but uh, it's it's just kind of interesting to see that he actually fell three spots. Canucks are up next at number nine, and they select Shea Theodore. Who, and again, I love Bo Horvat. Love Bo Horvat. I mean, he's our captain. But Shea Theodore would look really nice in a Canucks uniform right now. And he's a local kid as well. Yeah, Langley guy. He also played his junior down the road in Seattle. Um, he moves up a bit. He he went 26th overall. So we could have had him with a later pick as well. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's a big jumper going from twenty six to nine, uh, and he would have he would have been a great fit too. Again, uh, I'm very happy with Bo, but Shea Theodore falling to that nine spot would have been nice. Uh, that's already the third defenseman going off the board, and then in the top nine. 
And uh, the next pick belongs to the Dallas Stars at number 10, and they select, in our redraft, Anthony Mantha. And Mantha moves up 10 spots. I remember when this draft happened, of course, this was the Corey Schneider trade, and the guy that Dallas took was actually the guy I wanted the Canucks to take was uh, Nikushkin, who, spoiler alert, didn't even make our top 30. Uh, but to get Anthony Mantha, uh, he's he's a, a great player. I think he's a, he's again a kind of a slower development, but that's also because his classic Red Wings. They put him in with the Rapids for I think two and a bit years, and he's put up you know decent numbers. But again, he's also playing on a Detroit team that hasn't had a lot of help this year. He was pacing much better. He would have been a seventy-plus point player, um, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a great pick. He moves up 10 spots in our rankings. Very close behind him in our rankings. Number 11, and Philly took a dud with uh, this pick when they made theirs uh, back in 2013 with Samuel Moran. Philly gets Max Domi. And you know what? I think Domi, I, again, it's weird when this redraft, how a lot of these players would actually fit their club and i think domi would fit perfectly in philly he's a you know for a little guy he's very fiery and domi's one of those guys that he's he's been hot and cold his his career so far you know last year with montreal after getting traded out of phoenix and having an abysmal year in phoenix he was unbelievable last year for the canadians and this year he's Again, not producing at that same level he was last year. I know the Canadians as a whole have been kind of underachieving this year. But Domi's still a great player, and I still think he is easily in the top third of this draft. Yeah, he struggled a lot more this year. Last year he had 72 points and was a plus 20, for example. This year he's put up 44 in 71 games and is a minus 3. He still moves up one spot in our redraft. Uh, And right behind him, where he would have gone, Phoenix... Phoenix now selects Darnell Nurse. Yeah, you know, Nurse is, Nurse is one of those guys. Uh, I remember this draft. I was kind of hoping he would have fallen to the Canucks because, I, you know, I wanted the Canucks to get a guy like Nurse. He's one of those guys who, you know, he does everything quietly. Uh, I know he's an assistant. He's got a letter in Edmonton. Um, he's a good player. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I appreciate Nurse as much as I should. I do remember Nurse and Horvat getting into that fight uh, a few years ago. One of the, I think Horvat and Nurse have actually fought twice. I believe like the three fights Horvat's been in, in his career, two of them have been against Darnell Nurse, and apparently they're really good friends as well. But uh, yeah, solid pick there for Phoenix, and I, I definitely think Nurse is is a good player. He's come along better as his career has gone on. He's become more offensive. He's become a bit more of a leader. I know that he still makes some gaffes out there uh, at times. Um, may not be the number one on an Oilers blue line, but he's certainly a, a good number two or number three option out there. Uh, number 13 is, I guess this is one of our biggest jumps in the draft because the Jets end up taking a guy who went in the seventh round at the 13th overall pick. Yeah, Dominique Kubalik or Kubalik. Um, and I, I would say, honestly, if you look at the redraft, I think 12 to, through 1, it's pretty set in stone as far as those are the top 12 players in this draft. And then from 13 to 30, I think you could kind of interchange any of these guys. But if you look at what Kubalik has done with Chicago this year, I mean, he's he's got over 30 goals this year He's or at 30. Um, and yeah, he's our biggest jumper in the redraft. And I think this guy has the skill set to be a productive player moving forward. Chicago gave up a fifth-round pick to get a guy who's a seventh-round pick who, in our redraft, goes in the first round. I mean, he jumped from pick 191 to number 13. Right behind him, the Blue Jackets, uh, selecting another guy who we both had right around this spot and who moves up uh, as well, is Tyler Bertuzzi. He went in the second round, uh, 58th overall, so we've now seen a couple of current Red Wings Uh, fairly quickly together Um, and I quite like this I mean you look at this draft uh, for Detroit they got Mantha and Bertuzzi that's pretty good I think uh, a lot of people have started to kind of you know say that the drafting Detroit used to do back in the day isn't as good as it was or is but uh, you know they got two legitimate NHL players in this draft and again like looking at I don't know why but to me Tyler Bertuzzi seems like he'd be a great fit in Columbus I don't know he just seems like he he would be great there 
He does. He's had uh, 47 and 48 points. He's, again, uh, the guy who's trajecting on the the up. Again, don't look at some of his uh, goals against metrics, but that's to be said for everyone for Detroit. Right after him at number 15, halfway through the first round, this is an interesting one because uh, it's the Islanders picking, and it's a guy who jumps up as well, Pavel Buchnevich. He uh, third rounder, 75th overall. He goes in the first round in our redraft and across the river to the New York Islanders. Yeah, and again, like from I would say from you know fourteen down or thirteen down, you could interchange any of these guys if you want. But Buchnevich is you know he 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 is a good player, and you know he definitely seems like he's just starting to hit his stride as an NHL player. Um, obviously, he's no longer a prospect, and I think he's a guy that you know we will be talking about for the next couple of years as a legitimate you know uh, player for the New York Rangers. I know Rangers fans really love him this year. He's he's made some definite strides. He's pacing close to 60 points this year and looking to be a lot more that force, uh, that big winger that they they were hoping he would be. Number 16 goes to Buffalo, and we got our first goalie off the board. Yeah, Tristan Jari. And you know what? Buffalo could use Tristan Jari right now. So again, like... This redraft, weirdly enough, some of these teams are getting the player that they could probably really need or use at this moment. And I, I think Jari's a, a guy. I mean, you know, Buffalo walks away with Elias Lindholm, you know, with the eighth pick and now Jari at pick number 16. And you, you're looking at Jari and what he's doing in Pittsburgh this year. You know, he's pretty much taken over the crease. Yeah, local kid too. He's from Surrey. Uh, this is, he's been playing pro uh with the penguins his first game was back in 2016 uh but this is the year he's really kind of shone and put a lot of pressure on matt murray and created a situation for the penguins where they got to decide what they're doing with seattle knocking on the door yeah and uh with number 17 the ottawa senators take jonathan drewan probably our biggest uh faller in the draft yeah drewan falls from three to 17 and it, he, he's a guy who, first of all, I think Ottawa is a great fit for Drouin. I love that. Um, he's a guy, though, it, it's really tough with him to separate the disappointment from the skill. He still has a lot of skill. He's had a lot of injuries as well. Um, but you can't give up on this guy uh, just yet, although he's one of those guys who's due. He's on his second team already. He's cracked 50 points a couple times. But you're still waiting for that explosion out of him. So he falls from 3 to 17 on our list. Yeah, I think for me, Duran's a guy that I would probably, in my personal list, have him a little bit lower. But I understand that he does still seem to have that skill set that you can't teach. It's just very elite. He just hasn't been able to put that all together. Number 18, we see another riser coming out of the third round, 66th overall. Uh, He jumps all the way up into the first round. And 18th overall, San Jose selects Brett Pesci. You know, he's probably one of the more underrated players in the entire league. Yeah, Carolina Blue Line and some of their forwards in general, they got a lot of underrated players. Yeah, and, you know, Pesci's a guy that I think, you know, you could make an argument that, you know, right now he's maybe a better and more impactful NHLer than a player like you know, Buchnevich or Jonathan Drouin, but, you know, he falls in ours at number 18 to the San Jose Sharks, and he's another guy who the Sharks, you know, I know they're pretty loaded on D right now, but none of their D can actually play defense. They're all offensive guys, oh, except for Mark Edward Vlasic. You know what's interesting about Pesci is he came out of uh, high school, went right to the Checkers, uh, played, finished his season there, got four games in with the Checkers, played three games with the Checkers the next year, left and never went back. He played seven games in the AHL and has been in the NHL ever since. Really? He came right out of high school? Yeah. Univer- wow. or, sorry, not high school. Sorry. I, I, I said high school. I meant university. He uh, oh. came He came right out uh, and he's only played seven games in the AHL and just never looked back. Yeah. He's one of those guys that whoever, you know, had scouts watching him, you know, realized they had a diamond in the rough there. Columbus is up again, and they they take what I think is a very Columbus pick as well. Uh, Another guy who falls out of the top 10, falls from 8 to 19, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen. You know, I still like Rasmus Ristolainen, and I know in the offseason there were some rumors about the Canucks maybe having some interest in Ristolainen. I know his underlining metrics aren't the greatest, and he's, you know, 
generally a guy who gets scored against more often than, you know, scored goals for. But uh, Ristolainen's a big kid. You know, he's a big body. Um, and yeah, I, I, he seems like a perfect fit in Columbus. Four straight 40-plus point seasons going into this year. He was pacing just below it. He would have probably finished about 38 or 39 this year. So he is consistently offensive. It's just there always seems to be something with wanting more, and uh, his defensive game kind of has some gaffes out there as well. But kind of another fitting pick for Columbus at 19. Yeah, and at number 20, the Detroit Red Wings are on the board, and they take Ryan Pulak. Yeah, I think Pulak's a, a great fit for most teams. Three straight 30-plus point seasons. He's a very underrated defenseman. He's very consistent. Uh, I really like Pulak. I think he's um, he's a guy, uh, he's got some good size on him. He's a prairie boy. He kind of plays at prairie defense. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he goes to the wings in this redraft, and that's three straight defensemen going there as well. Yeah, Pulak, again, is another one of those guys, you know, when you told me that he's had three 30-point seasons, I was shocked because... He's a guy you don't really hear about, you know, much like a Brett Pesci, right? I And you look at his statistics, he's he's performing. Well-seasoned in the A as well. Played pretty much three seasons down there, and uh, he's become a regular with, uh, with the Islanders the last few years. Uh, getting on now to the Toronto Maple Leafs at number 21, and the Leafs select uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Yeah, you know, this is another guy who's jumped up uh, the rankings for us. And Bjorkstrand is a guy who I think a lot of people overlook and, you know, don't realize, you know, how productive he has been the last couple of years for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, he's usurped another guy on our list that's going to be further down the list and a guy like Alex Wenberg. And, you know, Bjorkstrand, uh, I think, would be a solid fit in Toronto. Yeah, the Leafs use that pick to take Frederick Gauthier. Um, I'm sure they would much rather have a guy like Bjorkstrand. He jumps up from the third round as well from pick number 89. Now, he was a Portland winter hawk. Would that have been under Travis Green? Uh, yeah, I think it actually might have been. I think so, too. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, so don't don't quote us on that one. Uh, sticking with the, the Europeans with funny last names, let's start with B. Number 22, Calgary, gets Andre Burakovsky. Yeah, Burakovsky's an interesting guy. Uh, and again, like a lot of these players in this draft where they've had some really highs and they've had some pretty bad lows. You know, Burakovsky, the last couple of years in Washington, you know, he wasn't having a great year. And then obviously he gets traded to Colorado and he's part of that high octane offense. And he's having a great year this year with Colorado. Uh, I like Burakovsky a lot. I probably in my personal ratings would have had him a little bit higher. Um, but yeah, I think he's a solid fit again for a team like Calgary. Well, Burakovsky, this year is his first time cracking 40 points and first time cracking 20 goals. He's been a double digit goal scorer the last few years, but never cracked 20. Uh, he's definitely with Colorado turned a corner though. And another thing with him is he moves up one spot in our redraft. He was drafted 23rd by Washington. Uh, instead he, we have him here going at 22 to Calgary. So at 23, Washington takes a, a big jumper here and gets Will Butcher. Yeah, Will Butcher is another guy who, you know, out of uh, college, had a massive year, his rookie year for the New Jersey Devils. And then he's kind of taken a couple of steps back. But I still think he's a really good player. And obviously the Devils haven't been a good team in the last couple of years. So I, I definitely think that Butcher is worth taking with the 23rd overall pick in this redraft. And I think he's a guy that, again, Washington could need, could use. And it was Colorado who drafted him. I, I still remember all this because uh, he, he ended up going over to Jersey. And then Jersey, who had Alex Kerfoot, ended up signing in Colorado. And I remember Kerfoot, the Canucks were after at the time as well, trying to sign him. Uh, so he never actually played in Colorado. Uh, he's definitely kind of tailed off a, a little bit. A good power play guy. Um, but some of his other aspects of his game are, are lacking a little bit. But Washington, he'd be a pretty good fit there, I think, uh, working that second unit power play. Number 24, the Canucks are up again here. And uh, you remember who we took with this pick, eh? Uh, Hunter Shinkarik. And uh, that turned into, uh, that was, was that Granlund? Or which one was that? Uh, Granlund. It turned yeah, into Granlund. That was yep. turned into Granlund. So we at least got something out of it. But in the redraft, we get a guy who uh, I'm much rather have in Alex Wenberg. Yeah, and again, Wenberg's weird. He had a couple of really good seasons for Columbus, and then the last year and a half, he's just he's really struggled. 
I don't know if you know you could necessarily equate it to John Tortorella, and maybe he's just not a guy that can play under Tortorella's system, or he's Tortorella's whipping boy. Obviously, I don't know a lot about what's happening in the Columbus market, but Wenberg is a guy who you know was a legitimate prospect. Uh, he's fallen quite a bit actually in this redraft. Yeah, he did. He fell from 14 down to 24. So I'd still be pretty happy with him. I think there's just more center depth. I think once they brought in Dubois over there, I think that uh, also pushed him down a little bit. But you're right in his numbers at the start of his career. He had a 59-point season in 2016-17. And after that, it went 35-25-22. I mean, this year, of course, is, is not a complete year. But Definitely declined a bit, but he is a solid two-way player, um, and uh, we get him falling to the Canucks at 24. Montreal right behind us with a defenseman. Uh, they take Nikita Zadorov. He also falls in our first-round rankings from 16 to 25. Yeah, you know, Zadorov's a really big body, which for some reason, Montreal seems to love those big body defensemen. I know they traded Sergachev for Jonathan Drouin. But uh, Zadorov's a big-body defenseman. He plays physical. You know, is he the most offensively gifted player? No. But he's a relatively good defensive player. You know, again, he's not great by any means, but he's a guy that can play in pretty much any team's top five, I would say. Yeah, he's he's moved a, a bit. He's He was involved in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. That was one of the key pieces that was, was coming back over uh for him but Montreal takes him again kind of a pick that works well 26 is an interesting one we have our second and last goalie of the first round and he's a mover he went up he was a fourth rounder he went 99th overall uh, UC Saros goes to the Anaheim Ducks at 26 yeah so this is probably one of the picks that I don't think is a fit for the team no it doesn't make sense uh for for the Ducks but uh hey what do you do but I do think uh, Saros is is a really good goalie. Actually, it's amazing how many Columbus Blue Jacket players are on here. Wait, no, he's uh, he's in Nashville. My bad. But yeah, UC Saros is a he's a solid goaltender. And I know with Pekka Rene getting older and older, he's slowly taken over the crease from Pekka Rene. And I would assume going into the playoffs, Rene hasn't had great playoff success, especially the last couple of years. And I know he's still a leader in that dressing room for the Nashville Predators, but I definitely think UC Saros would be a guy, if Rene starts to struggle in the first couple of games, they would be going to him. And yeah, he's a legitimate NHL starter. And he'll likely be the one that they protect uh, for Seattle as well. Uh, The Ducks with that pick did take Shea Theodore, so I'm pretty sure that they're happy with how that worked out. Uh, number 27, Columbus. They seem to be all over the place here. Uh, they select Anthony DeClaire, who moves up from the third round, 80th overall. Another guy who, like Jonathan Drouin, uh, will have a lot of people kind of scratching their heads about. Yeah, DeClaire is, again, he's another guy who's just, his development over the past few years has been up and down. I believe he was waived by uh, the Phoenix Coyotes a couple of Five years ago. Five NHL teams and one AHL team since he's been drafted. And yet, this year, he's having a bit of a renaissance with the Ottawa Senators. He had that great World Juniors with Max Domi. Him and Domi were arguably one of the most formidable lines the World Team Canada's had at the World Juniors in quite some time. And Duclair definitely, to me, deserves to be in the top 30, you know, first round picks here. But yeah, he's a guy that he's really hard to peg with, you know, where he actually is as a player, like a lot of these players. Mm hmm. Um, three more picks here. This is kind of a, a tricky one. Calgary is on the board at 28 and they make a huge jump up. They take a guy who goes late in the seventh round, uh, Andreas Janssen, who Toronto of course ended up selecting. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously, uh, Kubelik is a great player, but you know, there's an argument to be made that Andreas Janssen is arguably the biggest steal of this draft. Yeah, I'd say he is for sure. Um, and even though we have Kubelik a lot higher, but he hasn't proved it yet. And Janssen hasn't either, but Janssen, I mean, there's a lot of people who think, you know, he's maybe more valuable to the Toronto Maple Leafs currently than Kasperi Kapanen is. And Janssen, I think would be a great fit in Calgary. I would hate to have to play against this guy every other, you know, week or whatever. But uh, yeah, he's a great player. He does. It does feel like he'd be a good fit in Calgary. Uh, number 29 is a guy that I really like. Uh, it was Arteri Lekkonen. And uh, he's, 
He's kind of one of those Swiss Army Knife players who does a little bit of everything uh, for the Habs. And he sneaks in at 29 uh, going to Dallas, which, again, just feels like maybe it's because of the Yuri Lettinen, Arteri Lekkinen thing. It just kind of feels like a good fit. I was literally just going to bring up Yuri Lettinen and how similar they are name-wise. Um, and you're right. Arteri, Arteri Lekkinen is a great prospect again he's not a prospect anymore but he's a good player he's one of those guys who does everything well but nothing great and i think he'd be a perfect fit in dallas and he moves up he was a second rounder uh 55th overall and he moves up which brings us to number 30 the last spot in the first round chicago used this pick to take ryan hartman who just missed out on our lists uh we have them taking Mirko mueller yeah, you know, Mueller's been a relatively serviceable player over the years. I mean, you know, he's not a game breaker. You could make an argument that there are other players who have had better years this year that maybe should have been in the number 30 spot. Uh, Graves is a guy that comes to mind. But I think Merkel Mueller still, in my opinion, as of this point, is still a first-round player from the 2013 draft and makes sense to go to Chicago here. And he falls a bit as well, 18 to 30, but he hangs around in there. He's still got good size. Uh, he's very serviceable defenseman, uh, even though he's kind of moved around a little bit uh, from the Sharks to, to the Devils. But we have him just sneaking in there and taking spot number 30. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, again, uh, shout us out on Twitter if there's any players that you think we should have uh, included in the first round here. Let's move this along now let's get into our free pour let's do it uh all right it's time for uh free pour open floor and i'm going to share a little musical band or group or artist that i think uh most of you should check out especially if the end of capitalism is upon us and the band is called u.s girls amazing band and they just released a new album called Heavy Light, a song that I'm probably going to tweet out later today or tomorrow. Uh, it's my favorite song at the moment uh, by U.S. Girls. It's called Four American Dollars. It's an amazing song. Check it out. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. And the whole album and the band in general is just incredible. U.S. Girls, the song Four American Dollars. I'll have to take a listen to that. Uh, I'm just going to talk about how with everything changing everywhere and if, if we were to go full lockdown uh, I, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to do my running and uh, I was moving furniture around today and I made like a little running course around my apartment and I was trying to do the math I'm like how many times do I have to go around here to get to a kilometer I'm like oh Jesus this is going to be insane but uh, I've been doing little running courses here and if anyone's on Strava or anything it's gonna be one funny looking little red line there just me going in circles running up and down the hallway around the dining room table around the coffee table um, but anyways this is, this is how I spend some of my free time and uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that because I much prefer to run outside but uh, anyways it, it, keep your eyes posted if possibly if we go lockdown mode for some guy in the West End just repeatedly running past his window there I mean, you could always run a spot run on your patio there if you want to run outside. Yeah, and there was that guy in France who just ran a marathon on his seven-meter patio. I don't know how he did that. That would that would be mind-numbing, but uh, it's it is possible. I could do a little hurdle out over to onto the patio and do a loop around there, and just to add to the red squiggles. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And thanks again for, to Matthew Zader for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Matthew Zader SC. You can follow the podcast, of course, as well at Canucks Speak. Myself, I am on there as Pete underscore Gas. And give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, check out our ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. Give the profile a follow. It's just Canucks Speak Easy. And yeah, man, episode 31, uh, we've, you know, wrapped it up. Thanks again to Matthew Zader for joining us. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we'll keep doing the podcasts. We'll come up with some fun things to do every week. We may have to do them from separate places, but we're definitely 
keeping our, our distancing here across the table, leaning back, not getting too close, not sharing glasses or joints or anything funny like that. So we're behaving. We hope you all are as well. And, you know, just a reminder that we're all going to get through these weird times and we're all going to come out a lot better for it. Yeah, and you know what? Try to be nice to each other. Um, you know, just go a little bit extra. I mean, obviously, with the social distancing, you're probably not holding doors for one another anymore. But, you know, just just sometimes people just want you just want to hear or just want you to listen to what they have to say. Especially with the cashiers that you do interact with. They're getting their butts kicked. Be nice to them. Smile at people in line. You know, uh, if you're out and about, give a little wave to people. Like, uh, this, uh, it's, it's for a lot of us who are cooped up at home, those little interactions as well, it means something, but just be human to each other. Absolutely. And on that note, we're going to leave you with some of this funky jam to keep you rolling through your day. And thanks for listening. Episode 31. Hasta luego. trade to announce I think you're going to want to hear this New Jersey trades the ninth selection in the 2013 NHL draft to Vancouver in exchange for goaltender Corey Schneider